Harry Benson was a normal, mild-mannered computer scientist that's convinced that computers will take over the world. After a car accident, Benson is suffering from seizures accompanied by bouts of violence. The NDS is a hospital that wants to implant a revolutionary device into Benson's brain, a computer that will counteract his violent outbursts with electrical impulses. Dr. Janet Ross is Benson's psychiatrist. She's convinced the whole thing is a bad idea. She'll be proven hella right in The Terminal, man. So this is the third episode of Just Crichton and King. This is another Michael Crichton episode. So if you're only listening to the Stephen King ones, you can skip this one. With me to discuss The Terminal Man is fellow podcaster, <laughs> uh, filmmaker, uh, general Bon Vivant, <laughs> Jeffrey Ulrich. Is it Ulrich or Ulrich? Jeffrey Bennett Ulrich. Oh, okay. GBU, right. GBU sounds like a certification you'd get. I am GBU certified. There you go. That's a good one. Jeffrey, let's discuss this. You love this book, right? I, I reread it every once in a while. Okay. Just to remind yourself of like what not to do. I have so many reasons. Well, the, the things that I like about, you know, and maybe I'm liking the concepts rather than the writing. And that's possible. Yeah, Brett, the premise more than the execution. Yeah. So I like anything about mental health, pretty much. Humans versus machines, always a good. Brilliant killers. I like that that he's supposed to be brilliant. I don't know if he actually is brilliant. He's never really, he's never given an opportunity to be smart. No, we 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 hear about, oh, he's a computer scientist and he's really good at this. Like he sneaks out of the hospital by dressing as an orderly. Okay, cleverly. That's cleverly, uses, but that's yeah. not brilliant, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he, but that's the like, thing. Is, I could have done that. The the premise is setting up something where like he's like in control of the city and he can like turn off stop signs with or stop lights with his mind and mm -hmm. and and you you envision all this stuff like man this is gonna get big this is gonna get great and it never takes off. That that is true. I hope I hope I don't lose love for this because of you. I don't think you should. I think. <laughs> I think if people can criticize something and you like it, their criticism shouldn't mean a whole lot. I mean, you know, you can listen to me and, and agree with me or, or disagree with me, but I, I, you know, I like a bunch of stupid shit that most people don't like. So. I, I like, I like in the book, there's sus suspense over action. Yes. So for example, there's a gunfight in the computer room and rather than like a shootout and everything like that, where we see every action, we see the cop like dive into the room and mm -hmm. only his feet are sticking out. Yeah. And there's banging and gunshots and, you know, and so we don't know what's going on. And I, I like that kind of stuff. The movie takes all of the fight out of Dr. Ross's psychiatrist, the woman, and like the kitchen scene's gone. I mean, he shows up at her apartment, but they don't fight there. She's the one who shoots him in the book. She doesn't shoot him in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, those were some good scenes, man. Why'd you take them out? One thing that I love is that the terminal man is a pun. Because he's yes. a computer terminal? He's terminal because, can I spoil it? He dies. Okay, that's not... But he also kills, so he's not like terminal, like you don't call a killer terminal. You call him fatal or maybe here. That's not... Deadly. That's not foreshadowed enough. Uh, <laughs> his, his eventual death is not foreshadowed enough for me because... They smack you over the head every chance they get. Every time there's a TV on in the background of this book, 
it's talking about someone being shot, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is perfect because he gets shot at the end and that's it. Like I, I I kind of, every time I read it, which is now twice, I fall in love with the premise. I think it's very interesting. I think the first 150 pages where we're just (laughs) hanging out at the hospital, not doing shit, uh, And then, and then everything goes. You love hangouts. I love hangouts. I love hanging out. You know what? Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. I love hanging out. I love when people are wearing formal wear that slowly deteriorates. (laughs) That's my favorite thing. And still, this book has both of those things. It does not redeem itself. This book is build up, build up for 150 pages, and you're like, oh man, shit's about to pop off. Then he escapes. He escapes the hospital, and then boom, nothing fucking happens. He, what he kills people he kills he kills uh he kills a woman mm-hmm. he murders a, a, his a, girlfriend he murders his girlfriend and then he sneaks into the psychiatrist's house they have yep. a fight where she turns on a microwave to to, to zap him. his brain to zap his, to zap his brain <laughs> and then they go all go back to the hospital and he hacks into the computer and turns it off and then he and that and that's it and then they shoot him <laughs> His shrink shoots him. The main character of the movie is the terminal man. He's the least interesting character in a book full of thin characters. So George Siegel plays the terminal man in the movie. Richard Dysart is his surgeon. I think those roles should have been switched. Yes. As actors. I agree with you. I think I think Ross is well cast. But yes. I think the movie suffers from Ross not being the main character. Yes. And she doesn't have the fight and there's no microwave thing. There's no microwave. She doesn't shoot him. He climbs into an open grave at the end of the movie. What and, the hell? And they blow him away from a helicopter. <laughs> a child's grave, no less. What? What? <laughs> the movie is so much darker than the book. I feel like the actual murder in the movie is the best sequence in the movie. Uh, it's it's Hitchcockian and <laughs> slow and, motion. You mean on the waterbed? Yeah, the waterbed. It's it's very creepy. It's the way that he is uh, compulsed. He's compulsed to stab the waterbed, and it's all happening in slow motion in the blood. I know it's 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 autonomic almost. He's a he's a computer. Yeah, you exactly. Know? He's, he's a, a he's robot. Like, you... He's like he's like a sewing machine that just keeps pushing the the thread. Through. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think it's really scary and very well done. It, there's there's one good scene in the movie, and I think there's one good scene in the book. And I think the good scene in the book is where the younger doctor he he's talking about his pager and how the pager when he first got it would like impress girls on dates. Oh yeah, and he loved being and like he, I'm so important. Yeah, and now he's he, like I can't stand this damn thing. And I, and I think that's very prescient in terms of like people that have cell phones and are kind of tied to their cell phones mm-hmm. for work. Mm-hmm. They, they, at first, this thing was like this great tool that allowed com- communication on an unrivaled scale. And now it's this, this. So, so you, you like that scene because it was an unintentional prescience that Michael Crichton had. I think Michael Crichton is best when he's prescient and he's prescient when he is able to observe something about his world if the you know 60s and 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and make it something that still has relevance i think that's that's sometimes his stuff holds up because he's thinking about the future and he's saying this is probably what's going to happen and when that probably happens you're like oh shit he got it right and yeah. i think 
that's that's one of the fun things about Crichton. Do you? Yeah. Do you? So you've reread He's, this book. Have you read any other Crichton books? Uh, yes, I read Sphere. Didn't like the movie. I yeah. read Jurassic Park before it. The movie was ever even planned. Although the movie was planned during the game. It was planned like yeah. Yeah. It before I ever cover. heard. Yeah. Before I ever heard that the movie was coming. Right. I've watched a lot of his stuff like Westworld, and. But the original, the movie that he directed? The original movie he directed, he also did a sequel. Future World. Right, Future World. And, and then, then there was the a, HBO, yeah. whatever, There's Incarnation. An much darker version. <laughs> Speaking of a much darker yeah. version. So uh, we should talk about the, the movie is made by Mike Hodges, who adapted the screenplay and directed it. He's also known for Get Carter, great movie, mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, 1980, and That's Damien, crazy. The Omen 2. Oh, wow. Crichton was writing the screenplay for this adaptation for the movie and he was fired because he wanted to change too much about the novel oh and the funny thing about that because I looked into it I was like I hate this book (laughs) and I love Michael Crichton and why did he write this and there's a thing at the beginning that says it was originally published in Playboy it feels like it was written for Playboy because all the hero doctors are all men and then Ross right right is like the empowered female and like the whole but all the other females are, are strippers are, and nurses are, or yeah and subordinates and, and 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 actually most of the nurses are nameless i don't i think they named yeah. one nurse and and we don't know their names because the doctors don't know their names which right. i think is very telling right so there's there's definitely a bit of sexism in it and it definitely kind of plays on those tropes he himself michael crichton said this is his least favorite book he's ever written Okay. He said he wrote nine drafts of it. He said he never got it right. I agree with him Okay. from the, from the man himself. But then you, he's an unreliable source, I think, because when asked what his favorite book he had written, he said Travels, which is a nonfiction book about his travels. And he said <laughs> that it was his favorite because it was about him. So okay. Crichton's so you very- can discount anything he says about his own work, kind of. A little bit. He's very <laughs> self-absorbed. Uh, so I think he's probably the best critic of his own work, if anything. The first half an hour of the movie is just- preparing and the surgery the movie spends 25 minutes on the surgery and it is boring and richard dysart the surgeon the actor playing the surgeon has a great line he's like surgeries like this are both boring and like yeah this is the most boring and most nerve-wracking thing exactly and i'm like that kind of is the movie (laughs) kind of the movie it's it is suspenseful but there's something about i i think the stakes are too low like i think it's very 70s it's a very 70s 70s. feel to it it's very 70s book and very 70s movie Mm -hmm. The, the changes they made for the movie i think uh don't work for me ross is supposed to be this knockout with you know long legs and dirt, a dirty blonde hot in a dirty blonde way i think is what how michael Crichton <laughs> describes right. her and she's very hot in a june cleaver way in the movie uh-huh, right she's very she looks she's got this very 50s look to her she doesn't do shit she doesn't shoot anybody she's almost like the den mom in the movie and in the book i think she has some great agency mm-hmm. she's always right in mm-hmm. the book right. she she shoots him at the end she's the one to yeah. make that decision so yes. you like you like the concepts around this book when you reread it this time how did you feel about I, it i i wasn't so i i remember for 
first getting this book when I was 18, my high school had its own little bookstore. I accidentally tore half of the back cover off. And so I got a stapler and I stapled it. And so it looked like, you know, Frankenstein being put back together. And I thought that was fun. And so then I, I read it and I liked the concept of a neural pacemaker, something implanted directly into the brain mm-hmm. that could give you pleasure or make you think you're eating a ham sandwich on rye. And I was like, well, that's cool. You know, or make you into a child that asks for milk make you cookies. into a child, mommy, you know, and like yeah. just all, all the, so I love the mind, the mental health, mind control, all that kind of stuff. And then throughout the book, it's like, do our traumas and our fears and experience and our habits, do they control us? Are we controlled by our minds? Is, is compulsory education controlling people? The details about like brain damage is not necessarily something that turns someone violent, but a lot of people who are violent often have a history of brain damage. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then humans versus machines. And I also like that, you know, this, this unassuming, you know, he's, he's a nerd. He's like, that's why I thought Richard Dyser should play him or something like that. Cause he's a, he's a nebbishy, you know, meek little man. Well, that's why I I feel like reading the book, it's Nedry from Jurassic Park becomes a monster. Yeah. Okay. In the book, you're like, you're totally on Dr. Ross's side. You're like, yeah, this is a bad idea. This guy has said before that he thinks machines are going to take over the world. This is not the guy to make into a machine. And everyone's like, you're being stupid. You're a stupid woman. (laughs) What do you know? Go be a pediatrician. And then in the movie, there's... There's the one old guy that stands up during the lecture. They they have that character in the book too, but the things he says in the movie are much more pointed. He's like, you shouldn't do this to this man. This man thinks that machines will take over the world. Why put a machine in him? And, and everyone's like, hmm, interesting point. Let's fucking do it anyway. And, and Dr. Ross, you're on her side. You're like, yes, why are they doing this? Stop yeah. doing this. And they, and she, and in the movie, Dr. Ross's psychiatrist is, is like, you you know, we should be monitoring him every 10 minutes. And they're like, no, nah, I can do it every half an hour. Okay. Every 15 minutes, every 10 minutes. Okay. Whatever. You know, they just don't seem very invested in this outcome being positive in any way. It's hilarious because they assume that after the surgery is done, they did it hundred percent. Yeah. You know, we're you know, done. Clean it up. We're done. You know, ha- pat on the back. Let's get out of here. I know they all Pop go the out. Champagne. They all get dressed, you know, to go. It's ridiculous. I, that's so hilarious that they're, they don't even wait around to see if it worked. They're like, boom, we did it. When the terminal man shows up at Ross's house at the end or near the end, probably the three quarters mark. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh, I know where you live. I know where all of you live before I, I looked you all up surgery, before I ever got. Yeah. Exactly. I looked, I looked you all up. So what about that classic story where the monster goes around and kills the people who create him we don't even really get that no a woman has just been murdered okay um, a woman that this guy knows he right. is out on the prowl we have no idea where he is ross goes home and takes a shower when she hears someone at the door she goes come on in it's unlocked because she assumes it's the police chief right how stupid is this doctor that's always right their their hubris is uh, it's un- well, it it's never it never occurred to her that he would know where she lives. Why wouldn't he? He's brilliant. He knows computers. <laughs> These computers are so magic in this story, in both the book and the movie. They are able to interface with the computer wirelessly. There's no connection to. But he had to like go to the like phone book to find them. Yeah, no, it, it, it's something that they it should have crossed their minds. They should have thought about it. They should have. They they take no precautions. They're not very clever. They're smart. They're book smart. They can do a surgery, but (laughs) they don't know nothing about people. No. 
And I feel like that's Crichton. Like he loves, he loves like, ooh, medical gore. Like, yeah, her head was bashed in. Like, uh, look at her head getting bashed in. But what about feelings and emotions? And he's like, oh yeah, here's one feeling. Here's two emotions. We are out of here. Did you get enough emotions from that? Oh, let me tell you about uh, one thing from their childhood. All right, we got to go. We got to go before I, before I let too much emotion out. Like, I, I feel like Andromeda Strain, the characters in that are, they, at times they can be faceless robots. And I think for this in Terminal Man, he's definitely trying to make them rounded characters. They, they have feelings in addition to their thoughts and ideas. I think a lot of times a Crichton character is nothing but their thoughts and ideas. It's funny that you mentioned the, the faceless robot because like the poster for the original Westworld movie, is Yul Brenner without a face, the robot without a face. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I and he 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 wrote that script and directed that movie. That is like his, did. yeah, that's his prototype for Jurassic Park too. You know, uh -huh. whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. You trust these computers so much. But so many more things should have been able to go wrong, like you were saying, in this book. This like, should have been big. So we should remake it as a movie. Yes, oftentimes they remake something good because they, they know that there's an attachment to it and people will show up for it, like something that they know has been good in the past. They need to remake bad things and make them better. And I think yes. this deserves a remake. Yes, for that. I, I agree with that he about remakes. Be, he should be making cars run into each other at stoplights. He should be creating massive havoc in order to have people mistrust machines as much as he does. Yes. He shouldn't he, be quite so mindless. He should you know? be melting down the hospital computer so no one could ever use it again. And then at the end, he should kill himself in a spectacular, he should try to kill himself in a spectacular fashion that would ignite the atomic particles. Exactly. Those are within him. To exactly. Create, to create, a, you know, death on an unimaginable there, scale. There were so many things set up that didn't pay off. That never so, pay off. So I, I agree with you on all that. It's just like I said before that I might be more of a fan of the notions and the ideas than the execution. Yes, I am too. Which is why a remake would be fucking awesome. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the movie Shocker. Yeah, right. With so uh, he Mitch Kaleji. Yeah, exactly. And he becomes like a killer or he's a killer who gets electrocuted and then turns into electricity. Yeah, and then he's like traveling through the electrical Exactly, current. yeah. You know? And Mitch Pileggi, the boss from the X-Files, is, right. is electricity man. You know, I was also reading reviews of people who also didn't like the book. <laughs> there are apparently a lot of those. And they're like, it just ends. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That never bothered me, though. Because Very like, abrupt. And some of the other themes that that I noticed in in the movie more so, but also in the book, is that religion has has a big spot. You know, the the hospital computer right. has carpeting, the only just carpeting, like, just like the chapel, except in for the, the hospital. Chapel. And it's also compared to Stonehenge with its with its towers. Like before they do the operation, he's like, "Computer's going to take over." You know, oh, that's a computer. Oh, my memory banks have been wiped. Oh, like uh, my my monitors on the fritz. Like, and by that I mean my eyes. Like. He's just like so over the top with it. And then they do the surgery and they're like, oh, do you still think that computers are going to take over the earth now that we put a computer inside your brain? And he's like, yes, I still think that computers are going to take over the earth. And it's like, well, we just proved to you that they do. If, if I were this guy, I would be like, I don't want to be violent when I black out. Please help me. Right. Oh, well, we have to put a computer in your brain. Oh, well, not that. Anything else? And yeah, and that's the thing is that- <laughs> Anything else would be fine. <laughs> from, from the way that it's constructed and from the way that he knows where they live, what would have been more interesting and honestly what I, where I thought this was going to go was that he planned this all. This was all, he knew about the NDS. 
He knew that they would put a chip in his brain and he was doing this on purpose to like become a machine. That would make more sense to me if he was to like- become- oh, the final machine, the right. terminal machine. The terminal man, but he has no agency. He's just like, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, no, I have to kill. I've killed. I don't know. I don't remember. That is a I much killed. better story. That is like, much better. It's, Let's it's, remake it like that, damn it. It sucks that that this is the story, right? <laughs> Doesn't that kind of suck? But that's, that's, like, that's the beauty part of a remake that, that improves upon its source material. But that's you know? such... When I when I hear that Crichton himself tried to change the script to make it less like this novel, I'm like, dude, let him. Because the response to him about to have a seizure is a pleasure response. Right. He starts to trigger the anger exactly. to get that pleasure exactly. response. And I think it's a fascinating point in the book that they make where they say, you know, we gave a rat a lever. And if he pulled the lever, he would get the pleasure response, but it would also give him a shock. And he just kept pulling it until he was completely shocked out. Like Yeah, like he didn't eat anymore, didn't sleep anymore. Like, all he would do is just seek that pleasure. That No one except Dr. Ross thinks about this idea at all. None of them are aware of this idea, only until Dr. Ross is like, hey, you guys, you remember that thing about how like the mouse would keep pulling the lever? And all the other doctors are like, oh, yes, I do remember that. And I remember every detail about it. It's like, Shut up. Why did you guys talk about this before you created the terminal man? <laughs> and and there's a character who comes in to say, I understand that you have this thing that you can implant right yeah. in your brain to give people orgasms. Can I get that? No, it'll give you the way he puts it is he says uh they call him an e-lad because they, they call him an electronic addict. Right. And, they, and Crichton even says, like, oh, soon the Japanese will be able to make a product that's two to four dollars. And we'll create an electric shock whenever you push the button and people will be getting high off of electric shocks. And they've got this guy come in and he's like, I heard you can put a thing in your brain that'll give you the pleasure of 12 orgasms. Is that true? And they're like, ha ha ha. Yes, that's true. And they're, they're observing that guy too. And they're like laughing about it. But And then, then they mention a, a woman. I was going to say that. Right. They couldn't get satisfaction from all the sex she was having. Right. It was compulsory she, to her. That's how the movie right. opens, is a discussion of that woman. They're like, oh, I heard of a woman that would have 12 sexual partners a night and still wouldn't feel satisfied. And the response <laughs> to that is, the other guy goes, so addiction is the cause of this violence? He calls it violence to fuck 12 guys in a night. <laughs> it's a very 70s. Yeah, very oh, 70s. I got to mention the problematic, yet again, I got to mention the problematic stuff in this book because there's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's uh, there's casual use of the word retarded. Uh, homosexuality is a mental disorder. It's a problem in this in this book. Yeah, I think there's one black character, and that's the stripper. Is that right? In the movie, oh, no, an, or, the, an orderly. There's a black orderly as well. The, yeah, there's a, a black janitor that stares. That's true. That's at, true. That stares at Ellis after he barfs, which is funny because Andromeda Strain added one black woman, but she wasn't a stripper. She was she was a nurse that took care of the baby. Like, um, we have a lot of these landmines. There's sexism, racism. But the yeah, sexism yeah. against Dr. Ross makes sense and actually I think makes her a well-rounded character, at least an okay. attempt at an attempt at one. 
Obviously, there are links to other Michael Crichton stories in here. It's pretty much Nedry gets a brain implant. Right. Just like in Andromeda Strain, they go and tour a facility that has a lot of future technology in it, right. which he really loves. The, pi- the ping pong playing robot that the, the ping pong Department of Defense are probably that, not going to use for ping pong. No, they're going to use to shoot missiles out of the sky, I'm assuming, to, <laughs> to identify objects in a 3D space. But he also... This is so, this is really inside Crichton. Crichton wrote a nonfiction novel about the painter Jasper Johns. When Benson goes to Ross's apartment, he's like, oh, what's this painting? It's like, who would paint numbers? That's fun. And Ross is like, oh, it's a Johns. And it's like, okay, he right. even, they even put a Jasper Johns painting on, on Ross's wall. Unfortunately, no dinosaurs, no, <laughs> no genetic experimentation. This this is a techno thriller. I said in the Andromeda Strain that the techno thriller is smart people interrupting each other. In this one, they let each other finish their sentences, but they're always doing the wrong thing. Not necessarily in the movie. There's a lot of interruptions, like when the guy in the gallery is giving a play-by-play. Oh my God, they, they cut off the they word computer. Off. They cut off they the cut. word computer because they said the word computer 500 times already. And when the orderly is telling a joke, they cut off his joke and they cut back to him later. Right. And... So dialogue is interrupted. There interruptions is a whole other theme where the accident interrupted his normal life, trying to interrupt these seizures. Uh, another interruption that we see constantly in the movie, at least, is he keeps interrupting funerals and funeral services. <laughs> and death is also the big interruption. Ooh, that's a good one. Talk about <laughs> from going going from one to zero, right? Right. And then women and men, as we were talking, the surgeons, the doctors, the mechanics, those are all men. The psychiatrist yeah. is a woman, but all the other women are nurses or nurses dancers. or dancers or right. Going back to the the mind control. Do you know the book Psycho Cybernetics? No. It's written by a surgeon who does plastic surgery, and he noticed that his patients, after he would you know fix a hair lip or some facial disfiguration, wouldn't consider themselves any better looking after the surgery because their mind was still stuck in that self esteem trap that they had, and so he. Psycho, the mind and cybernetics, robotics, he was like, well, the mind is kind of like its own little robot. When we learn something new, we trial and error, trial and error, the same way a robot would learn something new. And so he started to study psychiatry more so that he could try to help his patients. And the book is the result of those studies. And the thing that I took away from it in a big part is that you can change your own self-esteem. Most people think that that's fixed. We, we, We are who we think we are and all that sort of thing. But no, you can work at it. And I'm a podcaster, as you mentioned, and my podcast, Inherently Happy, is about how you can kind of change your anger reactions. You can change like how you react to anything, whatever mood, you know, your your moods and emotions are yours to deal with the world with. It's about mood management and that sort of thing. Because I come from a household that was very loud, very angry. My dad was super angry. Everything would upset him to an equal degree, which we found insane. So he was either zero or one. He was either zero or one. Maybe that's why I like the book so much. (laughs) Because if he almost got into a car accident, he would flip out screaming. His face would turn red, spitting, screaming at the world. And we're locked in a car with this guy. And we're like, okay, calm down. And if his TV show wasn't on before the age of TiVo and, you know, record, if the TV guide said it was supposed to be on, but it was preempted by something, he would be like, it says it's supposed to be on. Right. It'd be the same reaction. You the same level, the same loudness, wow. the freaking out, 
and just screaming at everything. And like his parents must have done a number on him. I have no idea. And just, I was like always trying to like help him with his anger and his issues, but you get the full force of it from him. But then I was able to out shout him. And then he would turn like a coward would turn into like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like he would get all meek if he thought someone was stronger than him. So you used mind control on him. I used mind control on my dad and it made me feel bad because I'm like, oh, he's just a kid, you know? And so then I- Just sit in a child's grave. Just sit in a child's grave, little robot boy. And (laughs) and so like, and so I started like, how can I deal with my own anger? Because I, you know, driving to work, there's people that are trying to cut you off. You're trying to pass somebody, they're trying to pass you. And I would race them and I would just, my, my blood pressure would go up and I would be racing this guy. Now he hates me and I hate him. And I'm like, I had to like, okay, but you get a, get in, you get a high off of that. You get, you, you get, get a high that, off of it, but you, you also get that get stimulation. The, you get stopped by the cops. You get tickets. You, your, your tires go through a lot more wear. The guy there's somebody out to get you. The guy shoots you. There's road rage. Luckily it's not in LA, but you can't really drive that fast in LA. There's too many damn cars. And I had to like prepare myself ahead of time. I know I'm going to be driving. I know there's probably going to be someone I don't like who's driving on the road with me. I have to put my book on tape, get into the slow lane, not take the bait. And it didn't work for a long time, but I'm doing this weekly podcast for like over four years now. And I'm reminding myself that revenge doesn't help anybody. Gossip is not a good thing. You know, anger is just a reaction to some pain you're suffering. And if you analyze the pain, then you can use another reaction to it. You can say, okay, why am I, you know? And you but can use it, it to better yourself. Use it to better yourself. I think if Michael Crichton were to hear you talk about that, he would say, you know, that's a form of conditioning. That is a form of mind control. Them running around in formal wear, looking for the terminal man before he does something terrible is a cool idea and is a creepy idea. I think and the I, surgeon's doing it is cool. That's but what I mean. If, the if, surgeons, if Dr. Ross is- Dr. Ross should be in sweats. And she yeah. should be like, I fucking told y'all this was going to happen. Exactly. And exactly. you had to call me from home because I went home after this. I didn't go to the party. I don't want right. to celebrate this. You did something right. wrong. I'm having the guys call me every 10 minutes saying, what's wrong with the terminal man? Exactly. Give me, t- give me the terminal man status. I need the terminal man status. But the one thing she didn't notice or think to do is double up the guards or make sure he didn't get out because she didn't realize his goal was to escape. But there's also the problem that there's a clerical error because Crichton always has to have a clerical error. Um, Just like the printer that won't print in Andromeda Strain because a little piece of the ribbon got in the way so they didn't get the thing about the new. The clerical error in this is that they should have given the terminal man Thorazine to drug him after the surgery. Right, right. they, They wrote, it was... It was, it was the wrong they, doctor's name or they couldn't they read. They didn't Dr. recognize the. They thought it was Dr. McPhee. He's like, they thought it was Dr. McPhee unit. because yeah. the, the machine cut off Dr. McPherson, who's the hospital administrator. No, no, it was someone's handwriting. It was someone's handwriting. They couldn't read the handwriting. Oh, right? okay. So yeah, they thought it was Dr. Yeah. McPhee. And they said, the only Dr. McPhee is a gynecologist. Why would he yeah. recommend Thorazine for this patient? Which so is they the stupidest to mistake to make in a hospital. Which is just like, no one checked on this. It, it, like oh well obviously he says dr mcphee obviously he's a gynecologist so i can ignore the whole thing yeah I, and i'm not going to do any ch- checking on this. i'm not gonna, yeah i'm not going to check i don't know like that there's other doctors with similar names because i don't care and i don't know that the hospital administrator the guy in charge of everything i have no idea what his name is he's not on this floor every fucking day talking to me about possible terminal men 
Uh, I do I know, like yeah. the when he talks about uh, Los Angeles, he talks about how the depersonalization of cars, right? How you know people live in their little cars and they mm-hmm. they see each other through glass or they see each other in mirrors and there's no connection anymore. The mm-hmm. the movement away from a centralized town into this mm-hmm. disparate zone mm-hmm. of different things and and every we're we're all little terminals on our own. I think right. there's a, there's a lot of that imagery that he 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 sets a beautiful table. He he pulls out the best linens and the silverware <laughs> is high class and there's little chargers under the plates and you're thinking, "Man, this meal is going to be incredible." And he brings out a single know, like, pea. He yeah, he brings out one pea and goes, "Here." And you go, "Well, wait, what about uh, mind control and free will and all this stuff you were talking about in the introduction. He goes, yeah, I wrote this for Playboy. I, I just kind of ended it. Uh, did you want to see boobs? Because just turn the page and there's boobs. <laughs> he's he's not good at getting exposition in, in a natural way. No, and that's why his books uh, are compulsively readable because his exposition, it comes from the omniscient narrator and it's more interesting. When you have the guy sitting in the gallery in the movie Terminal Man explaining <laughs> the surgery that's going on, like it's like, no, this does not work. Like the surgeon is explaining to other surgeons how the surgery works. Like they have they have been briefed. Okay. <laughs> we are the audience. Explain it to us. Yeah. Have have Dr. Ross talk to her mother about it. Have, you know, if you there's there's other right. ways to to do exposition in a in a movie than. Then in a if book, it's you, necessary at all, right? It's also and a lot of not it is necessary. not necessary at all. It's and just the, the, the surgery in that movie could have been two minutes. They could have Seriously. cut his brain open. You could have had all of Ellis's lines because Ellis has some funny lines. He's like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that's enough carpentry for one day when he mm-hmm. drills a hole in the guy's head. Yep. Um, this is the most boring, nerve wracking thing I've ever done. Um, right. Just have him do those lines, and then you're out. You don't need literally. 25 minutes of 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 tarps being pulled over the body and <laughs> and machinery and tools and people discussing and what was the it. plastic sheet of plastic over Why did his they face put that over his face what the, he's like you doing all right he's like yeah all right he's like i'm fine like he's yeah, like I all this, drugged I'm, I'm breathing this plastic it's fine all right so we've talked it to death we got to wrap okay. up what where can people hear more from you you've got your inherently happy podcast Yep, inherently happy podcast wherever podcasts are found, iTunes and Google Play and all that stuff and Spotify and everything. And uh, also the website hahahappy.org mm-hmm. has list of episodes and explains what the episodes are about and refers to other episodes, has artwork and the mood wheel and all that good stuff. Uh, Jeffrey Benerlor, Jeffrey with a G. You can find me on every social media platform, G E O F F R E Y. Bennett Ulrich, U-L-R-I-C-H-B-E-N-N-E-T-T. Get out there and follow Jeffrey Bennett Ulrich. Uh, if you want to hear more from me, you can read Prombies. It's still on Amazon. Uh, Which I've read. Very oh, good. Thank hang, you. It's a hangout for the first half. It's and a, then it kicks in. It's a hangout. But you know what? I have payoffs. I, I learned do. that. I learned to have payoffs. And that's something that Michael Crichton will hit. Describe the premise, if you would. Prombies? Yes. Uh, It's a 90s sex comedy that 
turns into a gruesome bloodbath halfway through when they get to the prom. Uh, it's a parody of Goosebumps novels in tone, and the whole thing is narrated by a monster named the Spider Clown. And the name Prombies is? It's a portmanteau of prom and zombies. <laughs> and they are some gross ass zombies. They are the grossest zombies. They are Return of the Living Dead style zombies, which means they won't die. You chop them up into pieces, the pieces, they still come after you. Uh, so if you are into zombies or goosebumps or- Or proms. Or proms or people in formal wear that's slowly deteriorating that are- That's why you liked monsters. it so much in the Terminal Man. I'm telling formal you, man. Formal wear is your thing. There's something about, there's something about like night out gets ruined that I'm like, oh, <laughs> that is my aesthetic. I love that shit. There's something about like, 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 like torn- uh tuxes and and ties yeah. undone and, yeah. and dresses with the gowns with the, gowns, with the gowns long yeah. gowns women having to take their shoes off because they can't run and, and then heels. they have to rip the hem off because and it was too long and they need they gotta, to run now they gotta rip the hem off and, and then tie it to make a tourniquet that's <laughs> my shit have you seen ready or not yep that is my shit. That is, yeah. that is, that is, that is like, that's the poster. She's wearing a gown in the she's poster. She's wearing the gown. Blood. They, so there's like two versions of that poster though, because I think when it was still 20th century Fox, the version of that poster, she's in the wedding dress and converses and she's holding a giant shotgun. And then when Disney bought out 20th century Fox, she's not holding the shotgun anymore. Right, right. Which but I'm she like, has the bandolier of bullets. She has the bandolier of shotgun shells, but she's not holding a gun. So I, once again, I got to recommend Ready or Not. <laughs> if you love, if you love uh, people in formal wear slowly deteriorating, forget Terminal Man, check out Ready or Not, read Combies. But look out for our remake of the Terminal look Man. Look out for Terminal Men. Terminal soon. Men. The terminal woman, we do it to a woman this yes. time. We gender swap it. So Ross is a man. <laughs> and, and all Harry the other is but Harriet, all, but, but she all goes the by other Harry. surgeons, all the other surgeons are women though. Right, right. Ooh. But then <laughs> they're being silly and going out to, to dinner. Oh, that's now it's sexist. <laughs> uh okay, I got it. I got beautiful, end, beautiful. I gotta end with the way the movie ends is trying to be scary the cops looking in the porthole and he goes they want you next <laughs>